Hello and welcome to the Brogue Bogues My Journey series. Welcome you back. If you're a first time listener, scroll back a few episodes or 10 to be exact and start again because these do go in chronological order from when I was a little tacker to now. So this is episode 11. Appreciate everyone following this. A lot of good feedback from the last episode. And if that got good feedback, this one's about to uh, blow the lid because a lot of shenanigans in this one. Last episode, I finished with the Olympics and not having a successful Olympics. We finished in the top eight, uh, hurt my ankle. I left, went to rehab. So I go on a little bit of a holiday or a vacation for my American listeners uh, for a couple of weeks after that in Australia. Obviously start the rehab process, which wasn't a lot early on in the rehab process. It was just staying off it for about 10 days and then slowly getting flexibility back in it and, and getting moving. And, and that healed pretty quickly. It wasn't really an issue. And... The plan was to to train in Australia for about two or three weeks and then head over to Milwaukee. So the Scott Skiles era had begun in Milwaukee. And historically, most of us, most players didn't really get back to Milwaukee till mid to late September. So training camp used to start October 1 every year. You'd have your physicals and your media day and then you'd go on with training camp and that's when you officially had to be there. Most teams would like you to come in a couple of weeks before. In Milwaukee, most of the big dogs, most of the stars, they literally would show up September 30th for October 1 start. I would usually get there a week or two before just because of jet lag and, and the long flight from Australia. Scott Skiles got the job and, and his plan was to try and get guys into town after Labor Day weekend, um, which was in the uh, first week of, of September. I think it was the first Monday of, of September. He wanted everyone in town, so usually 4th, 5th of September, uh, and that wasn't a problem. So I was like, cool, okay. So my girlfriend at the time was in college in the US, and she had flown back and had to be in the US by mid-August. So I decided with Steve, my trainer, that we're going to stay in Australia in our own facility, continue the rehab and the training and ramp up to get to 100% by early September, so I'm ready to go and participate in all activities once I get back to Milwaukee. So we stayed in Australia for an extra couple of weeks um, and she she did it off to, to the US. So you could say I was, you know, um, on my lonesome and I, I kind of was uh, as far as my living situation. I didn't live with anybody else. So that was that. So during this time, and look, this story <laughs> might seem random, but it's very, very important. So pay attention. Uh, I'm obviously in Australia solo, like I said, no girlfriend, girlfriend's overseas. I guess there was a weekend before I left, about two weekends before I left to be exact, that there was a, um, a Croatian Croatian night at a nightclub. So what does this entail? A lot of the ethnic communities have their own little um, churches and, and hubs where they have dances and dinners and Mother's Day dinners and Christmas dinners and, and there'll be usually a Croatian singer and all the Croatian food and it's part of the Croatian community, right? A lot of different ethnicities have these, a lot of different um, race, religions and creeds have these all over Australia, especially in Melbourne and the Croatian community has about three or four of those all over Melbourne. There's, there's I think, two on, on, on in the southeast east and then there's, there's a couple on the other side of town in St. Albans and Sunshine. Um, so usually good times and everyone kind of knows each other, right? But there's also, sometimes I'll rent out a nightclub or a bar or a pub and they'll make it a Croatian night, meaning that 
Croatian music, and it's generally for the younger ones. So the the, the, the community clubs at location are generally for families and you know the older older members to, to, to meet and they just bring the kids along and the kids would usually come and hang out a little bit but it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot to do there for kids would usually cause trouble and get into mischief for the most part if you if you circle back a few of these episodes you'll hear some of that but we usually get into, into trouble but the nightclubs and the the bar ones were, were mainly aimed at you know 18 to 25 year olds right so they were pretty cool so I decided look I'm going to attend that uh, most people there know each other and I thought you know, my sister was going to go as well. So I go, okay, I'll, I'll be in the gentleman that I am. I, I decided that I'll, I'll go pick my sister up. She lived around the corner from me at the time. We lived about 40 minutes from the city out in Patterson Lakes, for those familiar with Victoria. Uh, and she was around the corner from me. So I go, I'll come pick you up at about, you know, 6.37 and, and we'll head on in, maybe have a bite to eat along the way and then, and then get there, whatever, right? So I picked her up and thank God that I did because it's an important part of, <laughs> of this story. So off we go to the Croatian night. Leading into that weekend, I was training as per normal, Monday to, to Saturday. Last session would be Saturday morning, then I have the rest of Saturday off, Sunday off, start again Monday, right? And I guess on the Saturday morning, just figure a speech while Steve, my trainer, was stretching me. Oh, what are you doing this weekend? You, you, you know, you're going out, what are you doing? I said, oh, there's a Croatian night tonight and I'm just going to go and you know, just hang out with some of my mates I haven't seen for a while, probably see some other people I haven't seen for years, blah, 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 blah. And he, he starts railing me, you know, ooh, have some fun with the girls. Have some fun with the girls. And I'm like, relax, man. Like, got a girlfriend, you know, chill out, you know. Standard old wog humour, like tr- trying to be funny. But it was, you know, I wouldn't say it was pointed, but he was somewhat like, no, no, you need to go and have fun, you know? And he was like encouraging me like, you know, you're young, go and have a good night, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, sometimes a man needs to have fun, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, all right, dude, like I get it, cool. Just leave me alone, man, you know? Um, and for those of you, even, I think it's even an older generation thing. They, you know, he's been doing this to me since I was 15, 16 years old, you know, railing me about girls and, with some vulgar language, did you get any last night? All that kind of stuff. And you're like, all right, dude, like, let's just go train. <laughs> I'm not having this conversation with you. But even uh, one of my good friends who I mentioned earlier in this podcast, many episodes ago, Marco, we used to train together with Steve and he'd do it to him as well. And we would just always used to laugh about it because we saw him as, as this horny old man, right? Um, which is kind of interesting. But so anyway, I go, I go to this Croatian night, have a decent night. Obviously, I don't have any drinks. I had a couple of drinks, if that, because uh, I was driving. So I didn't want to obviously drunk drive as, you know, one of the stupidest things you can do these days, especially with, with Uber and taxis. But um, it is something that's not as rare as you think in the Croatian community or the the, the European community, at least back in the day, uh, pre-Uber and pre-taxi, I used to see uh, a lot of the old uh, Croatians at those dancers that were sitting at a table eating and drinking for six, seven straight hours, uh, jump in a car and drive home, which story for another day, but it was what it was back in the day. And thankfully that's starting to dry up now with, you know, accessible transport, Uber taxis, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, have a good night. Not too late, you know, 12, 31 o'clock. I'm getting tired. I'm going to go home, go to my sister. I'm going to go home. She goes, yeah, cool. I'll roll with you. I'm going to leave as well. So I drive home. 
uh, drop her off, go home, go to bed, think nothing of it, and get to training on Monday. And good old Steve is railing me. You know, how was Saturday night, huh? You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. How was it? How was it? Did you have a good night, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have fun? You have fun? You know? Uh, and I'm, I'm just like, you know, he thinks he's funny and he's trying to rail me and I'm like, yeah, it was all right, man. Caught up with some friends. He goes, oh, you, you can tell me, you can tell me. Did you, did you meet someone? Did you meet someone? Just kept going and going and going. I'm like, dude, no, I didn't. I went home and went to bed. Like, relax. No, you just don't want to tell me you're embarrassed. Look at you. And then you make the slightest facial expression. He's like, see, 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 you're embarrassed. You know, just tell me, just tell me. You're just like, all right, man. Like, so pretty stupid story, right? But pay attention, keep up. So I fly back to Milwaukee with Steve. He comes over for the pre-portion of the training camp. So it was about, you know, three odd weeks, like I said, till training camp. We did, um, you know, the way it usually works in the NBA is they're not formal sessions leading up to training camp. They're, they're structured, but the coaches aren't involved. So you might get shots up with an assistant coach or an individual type, type workout, work on some shooting, get in the weight room for sure, and then you play five on five. So most teams structure it where it's, you know, meet at the gym at right, nine o'clock weight room, um, 10 o'clock, get some individuals in, and then everyone's on the court ready to go at about 11, 11.30 for five on five. And we play five on five, when it stays on for about an hour and then that would be your day, right? And you get some recovery and you're out of there. They're actually longer days than training session days in season, believe it or not, just because by the time you do all that, you're not, you're not out of there till two or three in the Arvo. So in between some of those sessions, I'd go back with, with Steve at night and get some extra shots up, some extra workouts in, make sure I was ready for the season. So that was normal. So he was there until training camp started. Obviously, I'm learning Scott Skiles' new system, so he was kind of implemented a little bit of how we're going to guard certain things. So for those five-on-five scrimmages, he goes, I want you guys to guard pick and rolls like this because this is going to be our structure and our philosophy and I want I want you know um, you to do this and the big, you're going to be in a drops or whatever it was and we kind of had to just figure that out on the fly. But he wouldn't coach it. He just gave us that and then took notes for those three weeks and then you know introduced tweaks to it or better ways of doing it or all that kind of stuff, adjustments throughout it. So all throughout those weeks in Milwaukee and even flying to Milwaukee, Steve had started once again with the financial situation. He started, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need more money. I'm going to have to get a job, a full-time job in Australia. You know, I don't know if I can do this for you anymore if you're only paying me this much and – I've got a young child and my wife's job and the house that I bought, it's probably the mortgage is too much. I overextended, you know, standard stuff I've heard the last three or four months after I bought him a $40,000 car, mind you. I'm going to sell the car again, you know, just every other day there'd be something, right? Mind you, he's in the US with me, not paying a dollar for anything. Uh, we really took care of him, stayed at my house, Obviously, didn't pay rent for rent or didn't pay for a hotel room. All these expenses were taken care of. Um, food, you know, the invaluable networking he received from being able to be on the floor with me in Milwaukee to meeting coaches and trainers. Same with the Boomers, you know, that I've known Brian Gorgian real well, and, and just networking for him was invaluable. And some might say, "Boys, you're, you're only paying him 40, 40 grand USD." A year. Yes, I was at that point for three months' work. So I remember that. It wasn't, he wasn't a full-time employee of mine. 
He really only worked me out full time for about two, two and a half months when I was home for the off season. And then come to Milwaukee maybe two or three times a year in that period for, for two weeks at a time. So, and like I said, I was in the process of, of structuring something with a business plan to have that academy fully firing in the off season of 08, 09, which would have bumped you know his salary up to, to six figures plus and probably a car and, and other expenses along the way and have him actually managing what I would, would think would have been one of the most premier basketball academies in Australia at that time. There was none. Uh, there's a lot popping up now, but there was none back then. So call me an innovator. But anyway, so I'm used to all these one-liners. You get the picture like about finances. I don't know if any of you out there have friends or family or people like that in your life that um, throw out little little feelers to see if they can get some money out of you or you can loan some money to them or whatever, feel sorry for them. We all have those people in our life once upon a time. So I'm driving home. It was... Where were we? It was Saturday before training camp. Training camp was starting on Monday. Saturday was the last day off where I went in and just got um, got a lift in and, and then we actually had um, the rest of the day off. So I went in with Steve as per normal and then that Saturday night we had our, our team dinner. So the way it works, the day, day before you start training camp, you have uh, a team dinner players and coaches only and this is where they tell you the rules they tell you what you get fined if you're late they give you a book full of all these the riot act if you do xyz it's this this is what we stand by blah 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 standard nba rules what you can find by from them coach's philosophy what he's got no tolerance on all that kind of stuff is at the dinner basic playbooks given to us that night and it's it's pretty a pretty quick dinner uh, just gets the season kicked off. Um, then the Sunday was media day and physicals and all that fun stuff, box ticking. And then we start Monday. Monday morning was the, you know, the first day of, of, of training um, camp, which was two a days, morning and night. You do that for five or six days, preseason starts, and then it goes back to one a day. And then you basically finish the preseason at the end of October. It's changed now a little bit. The dates are a little bit all over the place, but that's generally how it goes. So anyway, Go that Saturday, get a go lift the weight room. It's the last session that's not structured. Driving back with Steve, and basically he starts again with the finance stuff. And I'm kind of just like, all right, cool, you know, just playing it off like I've heard this all before. Kind of said, hey man, just be patient. It's going to all work out. Relax. That academy we're starting to build and tweak and, and put things in every every off season. Put put new equipment in, get it really, really first class. It's going to be yours. You're going to run that. It's going to be your baby. And like I said, I, I feel like he, he didn't want to do that. I feel like he wanted to be the plus one hanger on. He got used to that NBA lifestyle. And I feel like that's what he was, you know, wanted to do on a, on a six-figure salary, right? And arguably most trainers in the NBA live that lifestyle and they get that kind of salary for doing the bare minimum, at least in season. You know, nine months a year, they're not doing anything. Three three months of hard work in the off season, training a guy three or four hours a day and getting six-figure salaries. I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. So um, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to, I want you, you're going to be working full-time, like a full-time employee and you're going to be making good money out of it, but you're going to be working for it. You're not going to be that plus one hanger on, my boy. Uh, I just couldn't, you know, couldn't get my head around that. And I wasn't about that. If you want to be my friend, be my friend. Not going to pay you to be my friend, like a lot of athletes do. 
but if you want to be my employee, I'll pay, pay you very handsomely. So that was kind of my mindset on that, a little bit different to what he probably saw from other guys, right? He probably realised like, shit, these guys are doing nothing and getting paid handsomely, why aren't I? Well, I'm also not silly. Um, so we're driving home on that Saturday and I was going to go home, you know, see the girlfriend for a bit, see my dogs, play with the Huskies for a bit, you know, drop Steve off home and then I'd have to get back in the car about three or four hours later for the, I think dinner was about 6 p.m. Cool, no worries, do all that. As I'm driving home to drop him off, he starts again with the finance stuff, like I said, and he, he, he brings something up like, do you know for every million dollars you earn, I earn whatever it was, $550. This was after I signed my extension, right? I, I still wasn't making that money. That was still two years away, but that, that didn't matter to him. That's what he said to me, right? It's basically tr- trying to ratio his earnings to mine saying, you know, I've, I feel like we earned this contract together that you signed. You know, I feel like I should be compensated a little bit better because we earned this together. And I remember I was at a stop sign. So my house was straight up the freeway north, north of Milwaukee for about 25 minutes. And then my exit was another four to five miles. So I take my exit and it's a straight road off the freeway, four or five miles to my, to my estate, subdivision that I lived in. It's seven odd kilometers for your Aussies, the metric system, the world's best metric system. And... There's like three or four four-way stop signs along the way. So I get to the first one. Still about five, six minutes left in this journey. And, and that's when he said that shit to me. And I looked at him and I said, are you fucking serious? And he's like, yeah. Like, you know, said, number one, you were always paid for your services. So when I was a kid and I was 15, 16, 17 training with you, my father paid you two, three, four hundred dollars some weeks cash a week which is a lot of money back then. This is early 2000s and it was cash. You were well compensated. Now, if this was a situation where you did that as your uh, goodwill to charity, I'm going to help this kid out and, and you didn't charge me, you didn't charge our family and it'd be a different conversation. I, I feel like I would have been happy to, you know, compensate you, um, but- you were paid for a service back then. Don't don't kind of pile on me like you did that out of your goodwill and for free. You forgot about that. Then I also said, did you did you seriously sit down, go online, get my exact salary, and calculate what you earn compared to my salary, and then give me a ratio? Like, did you sit down with a pen and paper and a calculator and fucking waste time doing this? Like, do you hear yourself? And he, he then realized he crossed the line, right? He realized he crossed the line and it just went dead silent. He's trying to, I'm gonna, oh, no, 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 oh, 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 this, that, you know, trying to talk his way out of it. He was a talker, trying to talk his way out of it. I just went, I just shut down and went quiet. I said nothing after that, nothing. And I don't know what he was thinking at the time. He knew he was in some shit. He didn't know how or what I do or how I react. And I remember he was headed home in two days. So in my head, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to cause problems. Physicals and media start tomorrow. I'm not going to be home much anyway. He leaves the, the day after that. And 
plan in my head was once he lands, it's highly likely I'm just going to let him know that I'm not going to be working with you anymore. I don't, I don't want you working for me. Adios. Take it easy. Hit the hills. And I think, I think he got a feel that that was probably going to be the case, but he wasn't certain. But I think he got a feel that I'm in some shit here, like I've probably crossed the line. Um, and some might say, you know, what he said wasn't that that big of a deal. But to me it was. It was, let's not forget, I was kind of um, in a situation where I just signed a, a contract extension, as I mentioned in the last podcast, and I was kind of sceptical of people, um, that I was a walking dollar sign. I wasn't comfortable with those figures being public. I was young and dumb at that, at that phase, didn't know how to handle it. Didn't think I was worthy of that. And I think that's, you know, a whole separate conversation. I think the, you know, coming from Australia, you're made to feel like you're not worthy to make it, if that makes sense. And it sucks. It's the one, the one quality in Australian society I absolutely despise. If someone makes it, instead of saying, which is, which is probably an American trait, instead of saying, hell yeah, man, like you, you weren't that, you know, you, or so happy for you. You got a few lucky breaks along the way, but so happy for you. That's awesome. Like you've fulfilled your dream or you've got to where you, you were working, you know, five, six, seven hours a day on a basketball court in your backyard and playing locally and, and you finally made it or whether you're an actor or whether you're a, Whatever, right? You made it. Congratulations. In Australia, it's kind of like, oh, look at this smug prick. He made it. It's forgotten about us little people. It's like, no, I haven't forgotten about the little people, but I happen to have excelled in the industry I'm in. Why am I, I now a smug asshole? Like, and, and it's such a problem in Australian society. And I'll probably do a spin off pod about that because I think it's, it's a real bad quality we have as Australian people. And you see it on the daily, especially when, when people go overseas for whatever whatever um, job or industry they're in and they make it big and they come back here, a lot of people that I've spoken to um, at the lead of their their job say the same thing. They feel uncomfortable coming back to Australia. They feel like they're, they're an outcast and they're, 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 and that's the tall poppy syndrome to, to an extent. So remember that. That's that, I bring that up because I could get, go on a rant about this for days, but I was I felt like... Steve, my trainer, who's in my camp, shouldn't be looking at me like that. Shouldn't make me feel like that. Shouldn't make me feel like a walking dollar sign or an ATM machine. And and he did. Uh, and I think he he knew he did, but he st- still continued to to throw those little little jabs out there about money. And it was the main reason why I refused to instantly offer him something. I want to see what is this guy going to do. I'm going to make out like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll see how we go. Like I said, my plan was to give him a, a long-term deal to run the academy the following year, but I didn't really, you know, let him know a few times, but how many times can I let you know until you, until you, until you shut up and stop railing me? So I just let it slide and I wasn't talking him off the ledge when he was on the ledge. And I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what you're going to do when you're down to the dumps. I'm going to see how you react. Are you going to do something silly? Are you going to say something silly? Are you, you know, usually, you know, People will show their true colors eventually and this is exactly what happened. So let's get rocking with the fireworks, shall we? Remember now, I have to leave and go to a team dinner. So I've dropped off Steve. He's at my house with my girlfriend and my two huskies 
and I, I've had to leave the house at 5.30 for a six o'clock dinner. So I go and do that. Steve was going out that night with a mutual friend of ours. So it was his last weekend in town. We had a mutual friend that worked for Milwaukee Bucks. He was one of the maintenance people there, really nice guy. And he got caught in the middle of this, unfortunately, but mildly. So he was going out drinking with him. So all cool, whatever. And I get home about 9 p.m., dinner wraps up pretty quickly once we do our meeting, we eat, we get back home and then get ready for training camp the next couple of days. I get back home and my girlfriend's acting kind of strange. Something's going on, right? So I'm like, you're right. What's the deal? What happened? I thought something happened at home or her sister or her parents, like everything all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, something's wrong. Like, what's the deal? She looks at me and goes, you cheated on me. I said, okay, what? What are you talking about? When I, when I had to leave to the US earlier and you stayed in Australia, you cheated on me. And I'm like, okay, who's telling you this? Like, where are you getting this from? Go back and forth slowly. I'm asking where, with who, when did I do this? Where did I do it? Like, come on, like, I want to know more. And, and, and she didn't really have a whole lot of information as far as that went. So I was like, look, you need to give me more. If, if this is what I've done, I need to know more. And she's kind of half answering. So eventually it comes out, you know, when you went to the Croatian night, you, you, you met someone there and, and you hooked up with them. I'm like, who told you that? She goes, oh, first she said, my sister, my sister told me. I said, how would your sister know? Was she there? Uh, she not giving me nothing, like kind of open-ended, maybe there was a friend there of my sister's, blah, 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 some poor excuse. I'm like, I don't believe that, right? Like, get, I said, all right, cool. Call your sister right now, put her on speaker. This is bullshit. I want to talk to your sister about it. In front of you, on speaker, I'm not going to threaten her, I'm not going to say what the hell, I want to know what she saw, what her friend saw, what the hell's going on, because this is bullshit. No, 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 I'm not calling my sister, I'm not getting her involved. So we go back and forth on this for a while and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little agitated. I'm like, no, if you're going to accuse me of this, you need to call your sister and put her on the phone. Won't call her sister. So I get to a point where I'm like, either call your sister or this conversation's over. I'm not going forward with this anymore. Like, this is crazy. Like if you, if you think that I did this, I want confirmation from your sister about what happened, who it was, where it was, all that stuff right? Give me confirmation. Like if that's, that's a person that told you, I want to talk to them about it and I want, I want to hear it from them. Eventually she says, nah, it wasn't, it wasn't my sister. It was Steve. I said, what? Yeah, right. I laughed it off kind of like I thought, is it just another name you're throwing out to kind of divert attention off who really told you? No, no, no. It was really Steve. I said, I couldn't believe it. I said, yeah, right. This is bullshit. Thinking in my in my mind, like not my second father. This guy was my second father, remember? Not my brother, not my coach, not my mentor, not a guy that shaped me as as a person in, in the vital, integral parts of my adolescence and teenage years. Surely it wouldn't be him. She said, Yeah, he told me. Now remember people out there. You got to be very careful with junior sporting coaches and you want to pick the right ones and you want to, you know, outside of the fact that junior sports unfortunately does have a lot of, not a lot of, but there, there are a fair number of people 
who engage in predatory behavior around young children. That's number one for all you parents out there. Really know who your coach is and don't just blindly trust someone because they're a basketball coach or a football coach or they've been there for 30 years. But at the end of the day, these junior coaches, trainers, mentors, they're going to shape your child to an extent and they're going to have um, a lot of responsibility around your children. I know coaches that that, that drove kids to stadiums because their parents were working late. I know I know coaches where kids sometimes stayed there the night before to get to a game on time if it was a Saturday morning. I know all that, right? So that's a lot of responsibility that you're giving to somebody and potentially could be the wrong person. So for, for you parents out there, just realize that really pay attention and you know, ask your key questions about things and you know, just for peace of mind because I've seen, not only have I dealt with it personally, I know I've had ex-teammates of mine that had gone through some really sickening things as young fellas and, 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 and girls as well in, in the junior level. So just a little tidbit there for your parents. Realise that you, your kids' sporting coaches are going to shape them to an extent whether you like it or not. So you want it to be the right people and if they're bad people or you get bad feels for them, get the hell out of there and put your child somewhere else. That's my friendly tip. See, where else do you get these kind of tips on a pod, on an autobiography podcast? I mean, money well spent, I say. But um, so back to our friend Steve. So I'm, I'm like losing my shit. I'm like, there's no way he told you that. And at this point, I, I tell my girlfriend, well, you know what's funny about that night? My date was my sister. It's five years older than me. The very sister that's friends with my girlfriend, the very sister that, that somewhat um, was part of the introduction of us meeting. So, number one, I went with my sister and left with my sister. Number two, I'd be an idiot to, you know, even attempt to do something if that was what I was trying to do in front of my sister. And number three, it's just blatantly disrespectful puts her in an awkward situation if it was to happen it, 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 it's disrespectful to, to my sister being a female so I had that little trump card and I'm like you know I went with my sister right and you know, my wife's like yeah but what was to stop you you know meeting a girl there and catching up with her the next night or the night after and I said fair point but the fact that you think I'm going to try to even pick up a girl or get a girl's phone number while my sister's with me is, is just stupid um, it's, and it's blatantly disrespectful to, to you and to her. But anyway, so I had that. And thank, like I said, thank God that I went with my sister because I think that helped calm my girlfriend down a little bit because she was like, well, it kind of does make sense, but I still don't know. <clears throat> so she still won't really give me all the details. Um, still going backwards and forwards. It's obviously calmed a little bit. I said, you know what? Call my sister. Call my sister now. So obviously I've had no time to prep her and tell her what to say. I've I've just learned about what I've supposedly done the last hour. So call cold call her and ask her the question. Did you see Andrew talking to anyone? Did you see him get a phone number? Did he go home with someone? Whatever. Go for your life. No, I'm not getting your sister involved too. You know, blah, 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 blah. I think she started to feel like I was telling the truth, right? So by this time, Steve had left. He was gone when I got home. He'd already gone out drinking. So I'm fuming at this point. I'm like, number one, I, I, 
I believe my girlfriend, but I also don't because this, once again, this is my mentor. This is my father figure. This is a guy that has, you know, been very important to me through good, through bad, through tough times, through good times. We've had laughs, we've had tears. Like when you grow a relationship like that with someone, it's it's hard to just lose trust immediately, right? Like you're second guessing what's going on. Now, I remember I'd, been, I'd known my girlfriend for a few years at that time and I'd known Steve for almost a decade, you know, picking me up every day from school. It's 200 days a year, coming to all my junior games, you know, um, it's it's hard to just be like, oh yeah, he must be lying. So I was probably citing, at the start, it was like I fully believed my girlfriend, but then I was like, oh, why would he do this? I can't believe it. I'm kind of in denial, right? So anyway, I call a mutual friend because I can't call Steve because he doesn't have a phone because of, you know, back then roaming was a bitch and very expensive in the US if you had an Aussie number. So he, he didn't have his phone on. He, he wouldn't, he just used my phone when he wanted to call home. Not a perk of the job, I guess, but I called a mutual friend. He answers, hey, I said, put uh, Steve on for me, please. Okay, cool. He gets on the phone. I said, hey, man, get your ass back here. Come get your shit and get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> whoa, 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 what's wrong? What's going on? I said, you know what's going on. Get your ass back here. Get your shit. I want you out of here. All right, calm down, calm down. I'll be there soon. So he gets dropped off back to... Back to my house. So he comes He comes home, I'm losing it. I'm like, what, what, what the hell did you say? What are you talking about? You're an idiot. Like, I never said such a thing to you. What do you, so he goes, oh, come on, come, come and talk with me. So I go and talk with him privately in a different room away from my, from my girlfriend. She's in our bedroom at the time, crying, all that kind of stuff, right? So he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I never said anything to her. She's lying. Um, she's making everything up. I think she doesn't like me anyway. She's trying to get between us because she sees how close we are. She's tricking you unless you're just using me as an excuse, but it was someone else to, you know, she just some, it's someone else, but she's blaming me for it so the other person doesn't get in trouble for, for telling on you. And I'm like, there's nothing to tell, dude. Like, what do you mean telling on me? There's nothing to tell first and foremost. And, and number two, no, 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 why would she... Lie, to you, lie that you did it while you're in the house here. It's kind of awkward, right? But he's he's doubling down. He's like, I didn't I didn't say anything. Trust me, believe me. Um, and he's speaking Croatian at this point. And I'm like, okay, fuck. Like, so I half believe him. I'm like, man, like, he goes, you've only known her a couple of years. You're gonna pick her over me. And you know the old adage of, you know, one of the boys, an old friend. You you don't you don't put, you know, below a girl you've just met even though I hadn't just met her, it was a couple of years, but you get the old adage, right? So I'm thinking, man, my mind's all over the place. Like trust a, a newer person in my life, in, my, in, in the girlfriend, or trust a mentor, a father figure, a person who's been there through thick and thin, although he was paid for it, but he was there through thick and thin. So my head's spinning, I'm losing my shit. I'm only in my early 20s. I just signed a multi-million dollar contract. I've got distractions out of the ass. It's a world that I'm not comfortable in, that I haven't been akin to. So you can imagine, you know, no one prepares you for that. College didn't. All these classes about, you know, smart business practices and, you know, rookie transition programs, they don't prepare you for this shit. This is confronting real life shit. So I now go and talk to her and I'm like, 
well, he says he didn't tell you anything, so who was it? I was kind of getting mad at her, like, you need to be honest about who this was. Like, are you, you tell me 100% sure he told you. And she starts crying. She's like, I promise he told me. Like, who else would tell me? This is crazy. There's no way he said, he would have said that I didn't tell him, that he didn't tell me, sorry. And I'm like, well, that's what he's saying. He's saying he didn't tell you anything, that you've got it from someone else and you're just throwing him under the, um, under the bus. The kicker in all this was, I believe I was, there was some old school friends of mine who Steve had met at a, funnily enough, at a Croatian community event years before that. And they have some pretty unique nicknames, I believe. And that Monday after the Croatian night when he was railing me about, hey, did you have a good night with the girls? I said, no, nah, I was there with X, Y, and Z. Well, when um, my girlfriend told me about the Croatian night that I was at and I supposedly met someone when I was with X, Y, and Z, these nickname, these nicknames for my friends, I kind of clicked like how the hell else would she know who I was there with other than my sister, of course, who I'd told her. How would she know I saw those guys there, that they were there that night? Because I, I didn't tell her. Like, hey, I guess who I saw because she, really she didn't even know who they were. They were just old school friends of mine that uh, my girlfriend at the time hadn't met yet and Steve had. So that clicked me that, this must have come from from Steve because I've t- no one else has asked. Hey, man, you were at a Croatian night. You know, who are you there with? And I told him, like, not my parents, not friends, nothing. Right. So it only had to be, and her, you know, if it was her sister, it, it couldn't have been because she doesn't know my friends and their nicknames. So that that was kind of the the trump I had up my sleeve that made me click. That was like, this dude really did. Sounds like he he did say this, right? So. I was like, all right, cool. I think I've got him cold now, but they're both still, you know, he told me, no, I didn't. So I'm like, all right, cool. I call them both down to the lounge room, lounge room kitchen area, and I'm like, the best way to flush out a lie is have the both of them in the same room looking at each other in the eyes, and I'm going to just try to read which one's lying, right? <laughs> try to read it because... He's going to double down and she's going to double down, right? Because they both say they're telling the truth. So I said, no more chat individually. I said, both of you speak. Tell, tell me what you've both told me. So my girlfriend goes, Steve, you told me he went to a Croatian night, hooked up with another girl. Get this. He denies ever saying this to her face. Point blank, he's like, I never said that. You're lying. I never said anything of the sort. And I still remember the look in my girlfriend's eyes. That's what told me. Like she, she was like in utter shock and went quiet and was just like speechless. Like, no, like you, you told me that four or five hours ago. No, I didn't. And I knew at that point I was like, she's telling the truth. She's telling the truth. So she realized what the fuck she was in at that point. With, with this this dude and the situation, she, she just basically said, are you serious? You're really gonna you know, lie to my face after you just told me that? And he's like, no, I never told you. And then while we're all in the same room, he starts talking to me in Croatian, saying she's crazy, she's lying, don't trust her. She, she wants to get between us. She doesn't like me, blah, 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 in Croatian. So she can't understand it. She's like, you know, crying and breaking down or whatever. So she knew I was telling the truth at this point. She knew something was not right. 
you know, I think starting to click that this guy's, you know, a father figure, a mentor. Like, why is he all of a sudden, you know, telling her these kind of things? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why, why would he be doing this? Why would he be putting this stress on a guy he's supposed to be helping their career, going into training camp, big year, just signed a big contract, got to have a good year, got to be healthy. Why would he, why would he do that? And at that point, I'm like, Steve, get your shit, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> so then he's like, no, no, don't overreact. Uh, you know, still was doubling down that it was a lie. We can sort this out. Don't do this. Where am I going to go? I'm leaving in two days. How do I get to the airport? He was flying out of Chicago Airport, which is, you know, a two-hour trip south of our house because it was the international airport. It just saved an extra puddle jump flight. And I was like, dude, I, I, that's not my problem. I said, get, get your shit and get out of my house. So the only other person he really knew that would help him is, uh, you know, old drinking buddy. So he calls him, can you come pick me up? I'm in some shit. So the guy thinks that I'm an asshole. He's like, what the hell's going on? You know, so they pick him up. Now it's Saturday night. He doesn't leave till Monday morning. So they give him a place to sleep, I, I guess. And on the Sunday, I get a call from the guy's wife who I'd known a little bit, but I was closer to the guy, obviously, and called me and said, what are you doing? This is not fair. You need to take him back, let him stay there. We can't take him to the airport. We work. It's a Monday. What, what, what can we do? I said, listen, he's an adult. He can figure it out. I said, I'm sorry that you had to get involved, but he called you, I didn't, and he needs to figure it out. He, he needs to get to the airport. He can buy himself a car, car service. It'd be a couple hundred bucks to get him down there. Not my problem. Not my problem. And get this, when I kicked him out that night on Saturday, he had the balls to come up to me as he's wheeling his suitcase out and say, hey man, just make sure my, um, my monthly payment for next month goes through, please. I need, I need it for my family and my kids. Like don't, don't not send it now. And I was like, you see, in the midst of all this, all this shit going on, my head's spinning, I'm all over the place. That, that was a parting message I got from him. <laughs> And, and to be honest with you, my accountant already wired it from the US on the Friday because I called him and I was going to say, don't send it. I'm going to cancel the payment. And he, he goes, Andrew, I'm sorry, I've already sent it. Uh, I, can't, I can't stop the wire from the US now. It's already gone out. So the next thing was I had half the mind to cancel his flights back to, to, to Oz because I paid for him. So I was going to be like, you know what? Imagine I cancel his flights. He gets there on Monday all the way from takes that car service down there, gets to the airport and they're like, sir, we don't have your reservation. Um, you would have to buy one. But I was a bigger man and I said, you know what? Just letting get back to Australia, put it behind me and move on. So I'm destroyed at this point. Like I couldn't believe this shit was happening. I was like, I was couldn't sleep. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like this shit's not, is this normal? Is this the NBA? Is this, you know, when you're in the public eye, is this what happens? But it gets worse. Can you believe that? It gets worse. It gets worse than this. Um, my girlfriend uh, tells me that upon telling her all this before I came home that day, he goes, don't tell Andrew I told you any of this and just stay here for the next couple of months. We're in September. Stay here for the next couple of months and we generally go on a long road trip, Adam will walk here around around." mid to late December, Christmas, New Year's, small market team, we'd always be on the road during that period. He goes, when he goes on one of his long road trips, 
just pack up and leave. Pack all your shit up and just leave and don't tell him. And then when he comes home, you'll be gone. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, yeah, just do that. It'd be better. For, I care for you. I, you know, I really care for you and we've got a, we've established a close relationship and I think that's what's best for you. And and then when you get back to Australia and he contacts you, say, just say you had to leave because your mum was sick and, and then just kind of cut him off. And, you know, he begged her not to say anything to me about what he said because it would ruin his family's life and, and his child and he had to – he had to pay for his child's school and the mortgage and if he lost his job that I was paying him, how would he survive? I mean, the ball's on this guy. The ball's on this guy, man. I, I could not believe it. And some might say, why would he, why would he say that to her? Because this fucking prick knew what he was doing the whole time. He knew me. He knew my psyche. He knew that historically when I had a bad week in the NBA, bad form, was not mentally there, was struggling. What? Who did I call? I called Steve. Put him on a flight from Australia. He'd come out for two or three weeks. We'd get some extra sessions in. We'd do a bit of, you know, some some mental well being stuff about get my confidence back up. You know, uh, we've done you know just just encouragement that kind of stuff, and I'd start playing better, and he'd leave. So he knew he had he had a pretty important pawn in the chess game of Andrew Bogut, right? Look at me. I use myself in the third person, but. So who would I call for emotional support if my girlfriend did this? <laughs> yeah. And I've racked my brain around this for years and, and that's, that's – I'm 99.9% .9 sure I've got the truth. His plan would have been ever since that stop sign incident where, where he was pissed, he's going to probably try to cut me off and he might. He might cut me off when I get back to Australia and everything will be fine, and then all of a sudden, someone else important in his life is going to just leave, and he's not going to know why, and he's going to be scratching his head, searching for answers. Who's he going to call? Probably going to be playing bad at that point as well with all the distractions, right? Who's he going to call? Good old Steve. That's the audacity of this guy. That's the audacity of our industry. That is the poison of our industry and the shit that we have to deal with that a lot of people don't know. And, and you know what? People that go through similar things to me, there's a lot of them. <laughs> now, I'm not the only one. The difference is I'm not afraid to talk about them. Most people are embarrassed by these kind of stories. Most people are embarrassed to say their family ripped them off, their mother, their father, their girlfriend, their wife, their auntie, their uncle ripped them off. They're, they're, they're embarrassed by that. They're embarrassed to bring it up in the locker room around other teammates because they oh, you're, you're stupid, man. How could you let that happen to you? So... Guys don't learn from it in the, at least the NBA, you know, in, in high-end professional sports where we're talking millions, the NFL, baseball, soccer, they don't talk about it because there's a competitiveness with athletes. So with athletes, there's competitiveness on the court. But guess where that carries? Off the court. Oh, you bought a Ferrari? I'm going to buy a Lamborghini. Oh, you got a house up on the hill? My hill's higher. I've got two pools. You've got one. It, it, it sounds stupid. You might think I'm an idiot talking about this. No way that's true. Do some research. Shaq famously said that he wanted a Ferrari because Anthony Hardaway bought one and Shaq couldn't fit in one. So he bought two Ferraris and cut them down the middle and extended them and made them, instead of being one, they're about one and one and a half. And then said, I've got two Ferraris, that's two Ferraris. And that's, that's well publicized. You can read up on that. But that's, 
I see, I saw it every day in car parking lots at our practice facility. Player X, who's supposed to be the max guy, has a has a nice Mercedes, and then Player Y, who's not the max guy, the second max guy comes in with a Ferrari. The guy that's supposed to be the big dog is like, "Holy shit, I need a better car!" And then two weeks later, a new car comes in the parking lot. It's hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Um, there was competitiveness with that. This competitiveness with women. If you want to hear it or you don't, I know women aren't property, but there is a competitiveness with women. Who's who's got the hotter girl? Who's got the hotter girls? There's competitiveness in that, um, and that's where it goes. But um, you want to hear real raw stories, with athletes and, and people in the spotlight deal with. How's that one? Let me know. Let me know what you think of that one, because uh, that's only one. I've got plenty more of these. <laughs> Plenty more of these where these came from, but it's um, this one probably heard the most and the most raw because of of the influence and role that person had in my life. And you want to wonder why I'm cynical at times and why I'm very skeptical of people. There's one reason. And some might say, "Well, you can't let that one p- person change you and make you think everyone's like that." A few, a few other things down the line I'll talk about, but that was one of the big ones, but I'm probably the opposite. I, I, I now, I'm skeptical of everyone until I'm not, instead of being free and open with everyone until you learn the hard way. And that's just the unfortunate reality of something that I've had to do. And it, it's not great. I don't like it, but I'm skeptical of you until I fully build your trust. It's hard for, for people to get into my inner circle with the full, you know, bag of trust. Just like that, it's going to take you time. But once you're in, man... I will say this, once you're in my inner circle, you could probably screw me over pretty hard, but it's very, very hard to get into that circle um, now. So let me know what you think about that one. How's that to a start for my NBA season? My, 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 what is that? My fourth NBA season coming up. No distractions, just great peace of mind, feeling, you know, like a engine roaring to go into my fourth season. With everyone around me, they all have my best interests in mind. So I roar and have a great season after signing a really big contract extension. How's that for an NBA season start? <laughs> a guy who's meant to have my back no matter what pulls that shit, no matter what. Moving on. My first Scott Skiles training camp was tough. Tough. This guy's no nonsense kind of coach. Love the discipline style, hated shortcuts. Had the tucky jerseys in, look presentable. They, no untucked jerseys, one of those guys. I appreciated it considering where we were the last three years. We were pretty loose as a group. There wasn't a lot of accountability. We had new coaches coming out of the door. So I didn't mind it. And I think Scott Skiles would have a job for life in the NBA if he could just turn it back. The thing with him was that after two or three years with the same group, he would wear guys down. He would just wear guys down mentally and you'd have, end up having half the team saying, I don't want to play for this guy and the organization would have to move him on. But as far as basketball IQ, as far as a coach that can draw off the whiteboard a quick hitter out of a timeout, as far as a coach with well-structured training sessions, um, doing your homework, having us ready to play, holding guys accountable, he was phenomenal. Just If he just tweaked the hard-nosed stuff a little bit, especially in this day and age with kids these days, he's one of the highest basketball IQ coaches I've had. Like, he really knew his shit and I got into it with him at times. Uh, which we'll get to down the line. But I just wish, you know, I'd love to see him back in the league because I think he's a very clever coach. I think he's very, very good. But I think he just needs to tweak it a little bit, you know. Not 
not 100%, not, you know, just, just 50% less kind of going at guys and, and, and just being too much on a daily basis, he'd have a job for life in the NBA. So I, I hope he hears this. I really respect, you know, um, him as a coach and just as a as a basketball savant, I believe he's, he's one of the best, but he hasn't had a job for a number of years. So I wonder if he gets back in the fold or even if he wants to, but he was defense first, uh, which I'll also say my jump defensively was thanks to him. I was not considered an elite defender. After I worked with him, I was. So it goes to show you he was phenomenal for me defensively and just teaching me how to be the quarterback of the defense, how to be the eyes and ears because I'm at the back, you know, near the hoop most of the time. I can see everything. Really held me accountable for that and and I appreciated that. He really got me really primed defensively. New coach, new style. I was a little tired from the no-break offseason, came in with that ankle but was okay. No excuse. Didn't play great. Uh, didn't play bad, was 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 okay. But unfortunately, this season, I only played 36 games. My numbers averaged 11.7 points, 10.3 rebounds and two assists with a block at 57% from the field. So pretty handy numbers, a double-double every night with a couple of assists, really, really, really good from the field. And I thought I was getting better. And I, I think Scott Skiles holding me accountable. I really enjoyed playing in his system. But there were ups and downs with even that, adjusting to more demand. Like, we need more from you. You're giving us 11 and 10 or 12 and 10 a night. We need more. I'm greedy. I want more. You can do more. And I appreciated that. But at the same time, some days it's hard. Like, you have a good game. You think, oh, should I have 15 and 12? No, nah, I don't think you played well. This is why. And sometimes it's hard to swallow as a, as a young fella that's up and coming and, and one of the stars of the team. But, uh, you know, looking back, I think he was, you know, trying to get, get everyone better the same way. So now you might ask, why the 36 games? I only played 36 out of 82. So right around New Year, I started having some back pain, some back spasms, whatever you want to call it. Really the first injury I've had that wasn't kind of an impact injury. Um, I missed a couple of games the season before and a couple of games the season before that. So nothing really long-term. And, and this one was, was going to turn into that. I, I didn't know this at the time when I first got it, but... So I started having spasms and, and some sciatica. Um, for those of you who know what that is, shooting pain kind of down your, your bum and down the back of your legs and all that kind of stuff and just really kind of a, a really local around my lower back pain and then it shot out a little bit, right? So I took four games off to rehab and rest and, and strengthen and do all those things and got back on the court pretty quickly. It was was actually fine um, shooting and doing all those things obviously loosening up the areas all around it, making sure everything was, was fine. And I only got to play two more games after the four games off and it got worse again. Um, probably worse than it was initially the first time. It, it got to that point and then even worse, right? So a bit of a concern, had an MRI, uh, nothing really showed up. X-ray, obviously nothing showed up on an X-ray because you don't really see a lot of disky type stuff on an X-ray, it's more bone. Um, and not the most precise for, for small little little things with bones on the old x-ray. But um, anyway, had the scans. They tell me I'm all good. Once again, I go through the same protocol, rest, rehab, strengthening, start to work, get the workload to go up and up and up. And, and you know, you go, you go one day at 60%, go to, go to bed that night, wake up in the morning, how are you feeling? 
good, maybe have a little recovery day and then you go 70% the next day and that they work your way up. And, and if you have a setback, then they know that something's, something's up, we're going to turn it down. But no setbacks, everything goes up normally, which is great. I, I then come back after I missed eight games, came back and tried to play again. It still wasn't 100%, but I was like, shit, no one, no one in the NBA is 100%. Let me get back out on the court. I'll play through it at, at 70, 80%. And again, I lasted two games. And this time after the second game or during the second game, it was against Atlanta at home. I threw down an alley-oop dunk, came down and 10 out of 10 pain, 15 out of 10 pain with my lower back. And I knew I knew I was in some trouble. I knew something was wrong because it just wasn't getting better. So we're about a month in and out of the lineup. It just wasn't getting better. And I, I was frustrated. Uh, you know, the trainer's like, oh, we'll just go back through the same protocol and ramp it back up. I said, with all due respect, that, that's enough. Some, something else is wrong. I, I have a feeling, you know, the scans have missed something. Something's been missed. I don't know my body. This isn't normal. Uh, no, no, no. You just, you know, you, you, we're just going to get it strong. We're going to strengthen your core and your hips and your glutes. You're a little bit weak there once we get that. And, and I just kind of didn't believe it. I was like, no, nah, I, I, don't, I don't believe it. Something's wrong. This is, this is an immense pain. And because I was playing through it, I think they thought, oh, I can't be that bad. If he's playing through it, it can't be to the extent of something serious because he's playing through it. But... You know, I didn't tell a lot of people at the time, but I was in immense pain playing. But I just thought, you know, it's going to eventually get better, whatever, right? So I call my agent and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm at wit's end. They're telling me that, you know, it's nothing serious, but I'm in a lot of pain and blah, blah, blah. I can barely get out of bed in the mornings. And, you know, I'm in my early 20s and this should be happening. And my agent agreed. And he goes, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to get you a second opinion outside of the club, not through the club. And I didn't even know you could do that. This is when I first learned that a second opinion outside of the club can be very important for numerous reasons. And it was something that I did for the rest of my career. Whenever I got anything, uh, injury, a niggle, whatever, um, we get the club report. The club orth orthopedist would, would give a report per the scan, if I had a scan, team doctor, blah, 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 blah. They give a timeline. I'd get a second opinion outside of the club and they'd either agree, they'd disagree, they'd say, oh, that's a bit too long, that's a bit too, not long enough, that rehab's wrong, and then we balance it out, right? So it just gave me peace of mind. I learned my lesson the hard way, and this is why. So my agent finds me a doctor, um, orthopedist out in New York, very well-respected guy, does a lot of backs, came highly recommended. He goes, have you had a CT scan uh, done with, with, with the dye injection? because you got some of your symptoms are sounding like something that I, I think it is, but have you had that CT? I said, no, I've only had an MRI and an X-ray. He goes, with your symptoms, a lot of times what I think it's going to be is missed with a general MRI and X-ray. So let's go get you that, that CT scan with a die. Bang, stress fracture, lower back. <laughs> so, um, which he said, you've most likely now made worse because you've played on it for the last month. I'm like, great. And he said, look, no disrespect to the people treating you. These things get missed a lot. I see this a lot. People think they're fine because nothing shows up on the MRI and they persist and they make their fracture worse. You've most likely done this. You've made, made it worse. And if you would have stopped and rested and rehab properly, I, I would anticipate it would have been a six-week out. But now we're, we're going to hold you back for the rest of the season, which was another three months. Um, and your off-season is going to be highly modified. So... This rehab was was long and grueling. Look, I was was it a sincere miss by the training staff and the club? Was it an accident? Who knows? Um, 
you know, there's also the other side of things, new coach, new staff, pressure to win, need one of our best players out on the floor. Could that have set in? I don't think so. I don't think it was to that extent, but that I've seen that happen before in my career where, where, where you know, the pressure on the GM, the coach, get him out there at all costs, not necessarily to me, but other guys. So maybe that, that does happen, but I don't see it in the first year of a new coach, not as much pressure. Um, I just think it was just a misdiagnosis that was that they just missed it and I was unfortunately, you know, I felt the repercussions of it. So it sucked. I uh, wasn't too happy about it. And like I said, this day forward, I always got a second opinion with everything. And what I have to thank for all that is a career full of back problems um, on and off, good years and bad years. But at times my back would just spasm and seize up and it was something that I had to have in my daily rehab routine for the rest of my career. A lot of soft tissue work around my back, a lot of core work, Pilates, all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I learned to do that on a daily basis. A lot of times I come home from training and be lying on the floor and massage ball and foam roll and stretching and all that shit. And that was part of my everyday life. So anyway, the rehab was long and grueling. Like I said, I, I missed the rest of the season. It was my first ever injury that made me miss a significant amount of time. So that was a mental challenge in itself. I never had to deal with that in college. In high school, never missed more than – never missed a game in college or high school. Played every game my rookie year. Second year, like I said, they they shut me down. I could have played on with that foot sprain, but they didn't want me to play or taking for a pick, whatever. And then a few niggles in that third year. And then, you know, the, um, the fourth year, played 36 games out of 82. So I hated watching games. I hated – um, sitting on the bench and not being able to play really did my head in, but it was what it was. I had to, the next challenge for me was to get healthy. I flew to Vancouver postseason, beautiful place. I highly recommend visiting Vancouver if you were ever in, in that part of the world. Absolutely beautiful um, mountains. You know, they've got a lake, lakes, rivers, all that kind of stuff. Down, downtown's beautiful. Although Canada is in a bit of strife. Um, over the last 12 months or 24 months actually um, with uh, the dictatorship going on down there. Story for another day though, but it is a beautiful place to visit. I highly recommend it. There was a, a well-known back specialist who worked for the Lakers at the time, Alex McKechnie, nicknamed the Silver Fox. He was there for many years. He helped Steve Nash with his back numerous times for his career, the Canadian connection, and he lived up there in the off-season. had his own clinic out there. So I got sent out there with our trainer. Uh, we did some work there, which you know he recommended um, – my rehab protocol, when to accelerate it, when to, you know, step back, what to do. And I spent four days there working with him. He was he was great. So um, we did did some work there and I got my rehab protocol ready for the off season, which would be my rehab, which would be done in Australia. So end up realizing just how important rehab was and how methodical you have to be, especially with an injury like this. So the daily grind of Today you can only do a bit of core work and some light stretching and some weights and and nothing to, to, to you know no extension stuff with your back nothing on court and that was daily for a month or two and then okay we can do a bit of light work no jumping you know all that kind of stuff make sure your ice post you get your massage in you get some extra stretching in whatever I did a lot of swimming at that point to, to keep my conditioning up and you realize how important these these small little things are um, well, you could you could miss a twenty minute swim swim session or you could miss a 10-minute core session, but they all add up and they can really affect your rehab and how much you progress. And there's a lot of guys that, that don't um, treat their rehab properly and you see them come back and they usually re-injure themselves pretty quickly with something else or even the same thing. So you have to really take it seriously. I was thankful I had my own facility in Australia, so I was pumped um, that I could actually go in my own, my own gym and work 
wherever I wanted to. And what I started to do was um, orchestrate all my rehab stuff from that facility. So I'd have a physio come see me, I'd have a masseuse come see me, I'd have a core specialist come see me, I'd do it all out of that building. So I didn't have to drive all around Melbourne doing different um, for different appointments with different people for different exercises or different rehab uh, protocol, which was which was great. So the Bucks had me fly back mid-off season to Milwaukee and they wanted to get their eyes on me and make sure I was doing what I said I was doing and I was following the rehab protocol. Now, most teams would prefer you rehab in their city, but they quickly understood what Australia meant to me. I, I love being home and I was doing the work and they quickly realized that I was doing the work and I was ahead of schedule with with everything. Um, but, you know, they just wanted to make sure that I didn't come back, you know, at 200 kilos and ate myself out of the league and was just saying, yeah, I'm doing my rehab and as they've seen with a lot of guys. So there was a bit of a trust there. They figured out that they can trust that I'm doing what, what I say. So that was the welcome into to an injury that essentially was missed by, you know, NBA has world-class doctors and people working in it was, was, was pretty clearly missed and um, has uh, essentially I have – that to thank for long-term back problems. Now I had, I had back surgery then in my career and touch wood, my back's been fantastic ever since. I had a minor surgery on it and everything's been good since then. But these are the things you deal with in pro sports and, and no one's going to feel sorry for me because I make a lot of money and no one's going to feel, you know, oh man, poor, poor you, you know, how's your back? Oh, well, I'd have a bad back for a lot of money. That's kind of the mentality and it is what it is. So there are repercussions to what we do. I don't want you to feel sorry for me, but I'm just stating facts. But um few small tidbits as we finish off with that group we had uh, an in, a few interesting teammates of note that I just want to talk about one was Damon Jones so we we traded for him pre that season in the off season he came in a package deal we absorbed his contract and Scott Skiles then got the job and Damon Jones for those of you who don't know happy-go-lucky guy loose always laughing always joking um, big party guy on the road so I think Scott Skiles thought and the club thought we don't want you around this group just in case, you know, you're a, a bad influence. So we're just going to pay, we've absorbed your contract. We're going to keep trying to trade you somewhere else, but we don't want you to report to training camp. So he, he didn't report to the team. Then around January, we were, you know, below 500 or around 500. I'd, I'd been shut down. I uh, was about to be shut down and, and they said, you know what, let's bring you in early January, late December. Let's bring him in, get him on the court. And then if we make other moves, we can put him in and teams can see that at least he's been playing games and he's in shape. So they bring him in and this guy was comedy from day one. Like, you know, absolute comedy. I've, I've Yeah, just unbelievable stories. So a few of note were All-Star Weekend. Most guys go somewhere warm for All-Star Weekend for three or four days if you're not in the actual event. Some, some guys go to Vegas, some guys go to Bahamas, some guys go Miami, LA, whatever, get some sun, chill out, cocktails by the pool for three or four days, reset, and then finish the second half of the NBA season. So Damon Jones goes to Las Vegas. He was That was his spot. And he, um, he flies out there. Usually you report back, it's usually a day before your first game. So our first game, I think, was on the Wednesday. So they said, all right, everyone... We're going to practice at 5 p.m. on the Tuesday. Sorry, our game was on Thursday. We're going to practice 5 p.m. on the Tuesday. So you can get in by 5 p.m., come to practice. We fly out the next morning, and then we got the game on Thursday. I don't know where we'll go on, but it was a road road game, right? Um, and every everyone's schedule is different, but they usually give you as much time as possible. The first practice back is at night, and then you get back on with your second half of the season. So um, 
Damon Jones basically flies in from from Vegas and apologies actually, I messed this story up. We we had one practice, which was at I think it was at eleven AM the day before a game that was on the road. So we practiced in the morning and then flew straight out. Why I remember this is because Damon Jones flew on a private jet from Vegas. So he left Vegas at like 5 a.m. after partying all night, got to Milwaukee, had to go straight to practice because it was at 10 a.m., hung over as, as all hell, uh, way too many drinks, and gets to, I get to the training room in the morning, you know, get ready to get taped up for our practice session, and then we had a flight that afternoon to go for our road game, which was the next day. And he's asleep on the training table, and I'm like, man, is he all right? What's going on? Oh, yeah, he's, he said he's sick. He's not going to practice today. And everyone knew he was hungover. He stunk. He's, you could smell the alcohol. And, and then, you know, for, we get on the plane later on, and I'm talking to him. I'm like, man, you're right. He goes, oh, man, I just flew in from Vegas. I'm, I'm messed up. I'm still drunk, whatever. So he literally flew from Vegas, landed, came to practice, so he couldn't get fined, but was too drunk to, to practice and just pass out on the table. The funny thing was we used to play poker on the plane, right? And sometimes Scott Skiles would join our game. Um, if, we won, if we won the basketball game, he'd come and play with us sometimes. A few other players would play and coaches. And Damon Jones would always play. He was a big gambler. And he's sitting at the poker table like three hours later. And I'm like, dude, you just missed practice. Aren't you sick? He goes, I'm good now, man. I, I rehydrated. I'm good to go. <laughs> just gambled, played cards. And, you know, just that whole mentality of like, you know, if I miss practice because I'm quote unquote sick and then three hours later I'm playing poker on a plane, I couldn't be too sick, right? So just, just a funny story that I remembered that I was like, this guy just gives no shits. He was, he was in the league for a while at that point, didn't care. He knew all the NBA rules. They couldn't do anything to him. And on we went. Uh, one other story I had with him was so towards the end of the season, we got to New Orleans, one road trip, and I'm like pretty down about not playing and the injury and just pissed off and... Um, I go, I'm going to have a night in New Orleans, go out with the fellas. And I knew Damon Jones always organized a party in every city. There'd be a, uh, a sprinter type bus waiting in the lobby at every hotel and no different in New Orleans. It was like a, it wasn't a busy night. It was a Tuesday or Wednesday night, not before our game. And I wasn't playing obviously. So I'm like, I'm going to go out and have some drinks. I said, what's going on, Damon? He goes, Basically told all the guys, there's a sprinter in the lobby at 9 p.m. Whoever wants to come party, see you then. And that was it. So I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go along. So I go with Damon Jones. He has a crew on the bus. Uh, some of his friends that aren't basketball players were there. A few of the guys on the team. There's, uh, I'll just leave it at, there was a stripper pole in the middle of the bus. So I was like, holy shit. Drives us literally three blocks. Just didn't even need it. We could have just walked to a, like a, a lounge tapas type, not a nightclub, not a restaurant, one of those places. Kind of my, my spot now with my old age, I love those kind of places. They're not a nightclub, but they're not a restaurant, they're in between. So we sit there, have drinks, we're having drinks and he's ordering bottle after bottle after bottle after this, after that. And we have a crew of about 20, 30 people. And so in Milwaukee, when he, came, when he finally reported, he just lived out of the hotel right? Because he's like, I'm not going to get an apartment because I'm going to be here three or four months. His contract was expiring into that season anyway and he thought I'm going to be traded or whatever. And he, whenever we'd go on road trips, the team would make him check out of the hotel because like, we're not going to pay an extra five nights room for going for five nights for a hotel in Milwaukee when you're not there. So just check your shit out and we'll store some of it and then bring the rest, right? 
And like I said, he was a heavy gambler. So he was, used to be at the casino, uh, Potawatomi in downtown Milwaukee. And I used to go there a little bit as well and play poker. And he'd be, he'd be playing poker. He'd be shooting um, craps. He'd be doing, you know, blackjack. And I guess one night he won, I don't know what he won, but it was a couple of hundred thousand dollars cash, right? And the reason why I know this is because we're playing poker on the plane one day and someone stacked Damon Jones and he needed to rebuy some cash. And he's like, Bogues, pass me my duffel bag above your head in the overhead compartment. So I reach over, grab it. Can you just open it up and grab a wad out for me? I open the bag and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, just like, it was like a thing from a mafia movie. Duffel bag full of uh, cash. So he used to, because he had to check out of the hotel, he couldn't leave the cash at the hotel. So he used to carry it with him on the road. And the trainers are freaking out because everyone figured out he's got a couple hundred thousand dollars because he used to put it in the trainer's medical bag that came out on the court with us. He wouldn't leave it in the locker room, even on the road, because he was like scared someone was going to steal it. So why does it why does this all matter? So we're at that that lounge and eventually the waitress comes out and she's like, Look, you guys need to put a credit card down because you've ordered a lot of stuff, like <laughs> the bill's up to, you know, 10, 15, 20K in a small little lounge bar in New Orleans. They're like, you need a, we need a credit card. Like you guys might bail on us. And he's like, you know, he's, he's a jovial fella. Sweetheart, sweetheart, cutie pie, got you. I'm going to pay cash. Don't worry about it. Relax. She goes, okay, no worries. Walks off. Boss sends it back and she's like, look, we, we can't, you know, you need to put a credit card down. He reaches in his pocket, grabs a wad and it must've been like, it must have been twenty thousand dollars cash, just balled up, and slaps it on the table, and he's like, "Here's my, here's my motherfucking credit card." <laughs> just like, and I'm sitting there as a young, you know, young and stupid, bright-eyed, relatively new to the league, haven't been around a guy like this, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy's wild." So, chick was just like, "Noted, sir. That's fine. <laughs> Pays that in cash." We then follow up and go to a nightclub. and um, it's a quiet night. Like I said, there's not a lot of people out. It's kind of dead, right? And Anyway, we're having a few drinks and I think it was Charlie Bell and I were just sitting at the bar having a few drinks and guys are all over the place in the club. It wasn't a massive club. And then all of a sudden I just hear Damon Jones on the loudspeaker of the, the nightclub. I'm like, what the hell? So he's, he's at the DJ booth, he's on the microphone and he's like, it's dead in here. Let's get things pumping. I've got $1,000 for a stanky leg contest. Now a stanky leg contest, feel free to Google. Um, it's a song, Do the Stanky Leg, that is the equivalent of a, a dog peeing on a, a, a fire thing with a fire sprinkler or whatever. Um, when they lift their leg up, that's through the stanky leg. So there was, apparently there was a dance that, you know, females would do for the most part. That's the stanky leg. So he had every, pretty much every lady in, in that nightclub on stage that wanted to win $1,000 and started a stanky leg contest. So... <laughs> Charlie and I just sitting there. He, he took this club from like dead quiet Tuesday, Wednesday night to it was rocking. Um, and he picked a winner, paid her a thousand, and the night got rock, rocking. And just, yeah, a life of the party guy, fun guy to be around. Um, not saying it in a bad way. And all I remember that night is I had way too much arakia or grappa, um, which is a, a drink that you don't want to have too much of. And we had a game the next day, which I wasn't playing, and I barely made that game. Because um, I was I was struggling during the day. I, I remember going to shoot around and uh, still go with the team and watch and whatever. And the the arena and everyone shooting in the morning shoot around was 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 spinning. So I couldn't wait to get back to my room, had a nap, and then I was good to go for the game. But that's all I remember about that night. Um, it was a it was a quick one for me. Um, so that was one teammate. Another one I actually played with uh, 
to Ron Liu, now the head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, former Cleveland Cavaliers coach, that beat us in that 3-1 series. You bastard, T. Liu. And just one story that I remember about him. So Scott Skiles was, was a hard taskmaster. He, 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 would, he was from the school of, if you guys don't play hard, I'm going to punish you. You, got, you, guys, you guys want to mess around and not give me all your effort in the game? Cool, we're going to kill each other at practice. That was just his mentality. Or he's going to mess with schedules or he's going to get us out of bed early. That's just how he was, right? So we go on like a five-game road trip or four-game road trip out west. So it was probably like LA, Portland, Phoenix. And anyway, we finish in Sacramento. Sacramento were bad. Well, they've been bad for the last 20 years, but they were bad, right? So a game we should win quite easily. Um, I think it might have been DeMarcus's rookie year maybe, um, but we end up losing, right? So we end up losing to him. He's pissed. And Scott Scott has always had a thing that he would fly back after the games. No matter where we were on the road, they've changed out, teams have kind of changed out a little bit, consulting sleep specialists. Scott's theory was, I want to get back in our bed so we can have that whole next day off or the next day of practice in our own bed in our own city. Rather than sleeping in Sacramento that night, waking up at 10, then you basically fly all day because of the three-hour three hour time difference it was or two-hour time difference, and then you get back late that evening and you've wasted your whole day. So he was big on flying out. So what that meant was we flew out after the game from Sacramento to Milwaukee. Now, our game finished probably about 10.30 um, West Coast time, out of the arena by 11, 11.30, to the airport by 12, wheels up in the air by 12.30, which is now 2.30 a.m. Milwaukee time as you take off. And the flight was three and a half, four hours. So we're in the air flying. I don't sleep on planes generally. I just never have, never never will on, on, on team planes. Now, if it's a full-on sky bed, I'll have a nap if it's an international flight. But on those three, four-hour flights, I just never slept, generally playing poker. But... The way it worked back then was your next day's schedule would be announced by your trainer. So he'd walk down to the back of the plane in each row and be like, hey guys, tomorrow is 10 a.m. practice. Be taped and ready by 9.45, meet in the film room and then we'll go practice afterwards and blah, 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 blah. They do all that now by text. So you don't have to, you know, there used to be excuses of guys, oh, the trainer didn't tell me and they'd be late and whatever. So it's all done via text now. You get a massive text. But back then the trainer had to make sure or they'd stand up, you get to a hotel in your city, and he'd stand up and say, shoot around tomorrow at 10 a.m. You know, treatment start at 9 a.m. If you want to get taped or get some treatment on any injuries, blah, 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 blah. So keep in mind, it's we take off 2.30, we're walking time. We're in the air, we're flying. So we're expected to land about 6, 6.30, right? And <laughs> as we're descending to land in Milwaukee, um, our trainer, Mark at the time, Mark Boff, he, he walks to, down to, to each row, back to the back of the plane, and as he walks past a few rows of players and says something to them about the schedule, they all turn around with a, a look of shock. They just like turn around like mouth wide open, shock, right? So he finally gets to my room. He's like um, taped and ready by 9.45 a.m. In, in the film room. And everyone's like, you mean tomorrow, right? Like the next day, right? Like, no, 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 today. Like we land at 6, 6.30. He's like, yeah, we're practicing today. From the coach, don't 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 shoot the messenger. Everyone was like, "No, this is fucking bullshit. This is not right." I believe it was against um, uh, league rules or with the players' association in the league. I'm not sure, but it was it was brutal. And everyone thought you're joking. Like, there's no way we're doing this, right? I live 30, 40 minutes away from the facility and the airport, so I couldn't I couldn't go home and get a quick nap in. Most guys didn't. I basically drove to Subway, got a breakfast sandwich. 
went to the facility and just chilled out on the training bed, um, got some treatment and we had practice. And I remember before the practice, I was in the hot tub trying to get warm and loose and um, Teron Lou was in the hot tub with me and he looks at me and goes, big fella, I'm done. (laughs) So you're right, man? He goes, I can't do this shit no more, man. I'm done. And I think, I can't remember how it ended with him, but I think he negotiated a buyout or got out of there or finished the season. And then he ended up, I guess, I think Orlando got him for one more season as a vet guy that didn't play much. But his whole theory was like, you know, hard-nosed coaches like this, they take years off your career. And he goes, I can barely walk and I've never had to get off a plane and go straight to practice after a game. And he goes, it just it just cooked him. So just, just a... A small note of just a few funny random stories. Um, didn't win a lot of games that year. We didn't make the playoffs, but the, the culture was changing. Like Scott Skiles definitely brought professionalism and a hard nosed style to to what we're doing. Like he he was a no nonsense type guy. So I kind of appreciated that at the time, and it was um, yeah going to be a long off season for me with with the the back rehab. And everything going on and rebuilding into into hopefully a playoff team in the next couple of years. So I was looking forward to that, but wasn't looking forward to the grueling long rehab. So there it is, episode eleven. Pull no punches. I hope you enjoyed it. Give me some feedback on your thoughts. Of uh, probably that first half of that podcast would have shocked and surprised a few people, but old cynical, skeptical bogues is that for a reason? Um, I've, I've learned my lessons the hard way, so make no apologies for that i hope you enjoyed this please give it a share appreciate the feedback once again and i hope you're all happy that i got another one of these out very very quickly you know why because I've, I've been on the road for the last couple of weeks following the sydney kings finals run around and i've had some peace and quiet in the hotel room with i uh, love my kids but there's no kids in the background barking and yelling that i don't need a quiet space in the house i can do it in the hotel room so that's why another one of these got out pretty quickly ladies and gentlemen so hope you enjoy Have a great day, great night. Adios.